This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And we're thrilled to have you. Uh, every episode, we watch an episode of SVU. We research the true crime it's based on. And then we have an incredible guest. Today is no exception. Um, but what's going on with you, Lisa? Let's do a little check-in. Well, so, you know, every week we do the homework and then people have been watching SVU to, like, keep up with our pod. Yeah. And it's kind of a mutual thing now because everyone's emailing us all their suggestions for episodes to cover. And then I don't remember some of them. So now I have homework to do and I'm, like, watching episodes. So it's like, kind of cute <laughs> yeah. and exciting. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. But I had a fucking capture nightmare. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> and I know the guy and he's one of the a club manager in a club in Canada. And he's a nice guy. I don't think he would capture uh, women. And oh, you and got was, captured by a comedy club manager. <sighs> yes. Um, in his house. And he kept me in like the metal tubes where the air <gasps> can, heat goes through. No, it was my air home. duct air duct shit makes me fucking 
like terrified. I can't. So many movies have people just like happily slinking along in an air shaft and I want to fucking die like that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would ever do if I was caught in an air shaft. I think if I was like in a room and they're like the only way out is the air shaft. I'm like, guess I'm dying in here. Like, I don't think I could do it. Who's fitting in an air shaft too? Unless it's a commercial one. Like I know. The cafeteria. Have you seen my butt for fuck's sake? I'm not getting in an air shaft. <laughs> but you know what? The Simpsons episode, Lard of the Dance has a really fun air shaft scene. Maybe that would I don't know if that'll me. help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he would let me out and I would be able to bring friends back, but it was just a lot of fear. I woke up like not really. Happy Did you have at to all. like come out to perform sets and then go back into the air shaft? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. I miss comedy so much. That would have been great. <laughs> he was keeping you as a comedy slave. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, I would love it. Um, yeah. And then this week also, obviously I want to hear about your week. I, this might be basic and I'm sorry, but people who don't know how to cook, you got to get into searing tuna four minutes. <laughs> yeah. The sear is a quick, anything two seared, minutes on each just, side. Yeah. I'm making poke bowls in minutes. I was just like, <laughs> I don't want to seem like a Gen Z girl. That's like inventing vodka soda and then letting everyone know about it. But it did seem oh like, why did no one tell me sooner? Oh, yeah. Wait, what's going on with all this millennial versus Gen Z shit that's on the Internet? What's happening? I'm a millennial just by the skin of my fucking teeth, by the way. But like, yeah, what's the deal? It's everyone's like Gen Z hates side parts. I'm like, what's going on? Well, because we're old. They're going to judge us. <laughs> they think we're fucking old. But Caleb Heron had the best tweet. He goes, we're 35. We should not care what Gen Z thinks about our genes. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> humiliating to care. Like teens are vicious. They're not going to be into us, but they don't like side parts. They don't like skinny jeans. They think we're too obsessed with iced coffee. And like, I don't know. <laughs> they just think we're losers. That's but I get really it funny but it's not like we're gonna start wearing flare jeans because of it i just don't remember any of this stuff when i was growing up i don't remember like people being like gen x hates the side part like i don't know it seems like now there's so much generational divide and all these generational preferences but i guess because everyone's on tiktok saying what they like but i did not appreciate those girls on tiktok being like this is a vodka soda i'm like yeah bitch i've been drinking those <laughs> since i was 15 and they <laughs> gave it a funny name they were like this is bomb ass juice and then it was just the vodka, <laughs> it's a soda. vodka soda with lime juice <laughs> And they're like, you cannot taste the vodka. I'm like, yeah, that's the trick to vodka. <laughs> you cannot taste it. No, I did. I mean, we used to in college get handles of Hawkeye vodka, which was like $9 a handle. Oh, the bad, the really bad vodka you can taste. Yeah. And we would just sit in a circle and chug it. We would drink pop-off. Did you ever have that? It's like potato of vodka, course. I think, pop-off. Oh, my God. One time, my friend and I, we gave um, a man who was experiencing homelessness money. And we're like, can you please go buy us a chaser and vodka? And this motherfucker bought us a two liter of RC and a little bottle of pop-off vodka, the smallest <laughs> one he could find, and ran off with the rest of our money. And we're like, we deserve <gasps> that. Yeah. Not another Coke and vodka. Remember, we had this conversation about Coke and vodka. Yeah. I can't talk about Coke and vodka anymore. It's too bad. Okay. What's next babes what's yeah. next well we have to do a shout out oh my gosh we've been dying to do this shout out we really want to highlight our amazing sound engineer Annalise Nelson if you guys have any idea what goes into editing our voices I mean <laughs> I know that I sound super articulate you've mistaken me for one of your college professors probably but 
<laughs> like we say like, we say, um, we mess up all the time. I shuffle papers. I'm caught there. There's constantly like, can you just please stop writing and shuffling? Around? Yeah. <laughs> And Annalise just spends so much time making sure that our voices are palatable for your ears. So we just want to give them a big shout out because they're the best. Yes. And uh, yeah, hopefully we don't sound as Valley Girl as we do in our hearts. Yeah. And I'm sure they go to sleep every night listening to our voices being like, I mean, like, why? (laughs) (laughs) That is too much. Oh, wait. And one other thing we wanted to shout out. This is like kind of we're having a really fun intro, but just a little. I mean, it's not like a downer, but I think it's like something that we really wanted to highlight, especially in uh, light of the episode that we're covering this week is maybe you've seen a few people sharing this on social media, but the story definitely needs to be bigger. Hate crimes against Asian Americans and I think Asian Pacific Islanders has gone up 1900 percent since COVID started. This is like really scary. We have many, many Asian friends and the Asian community is beautiful. And it's really a fucked up thing that a lot of people are attributing to Donald Trump. But I don't want to get any more bad reviews on our apples. So I'll stop talking about Donald Trump. But, you know, calling it the China virus, calling it the Wuhan virus certainly did not help anybody. And a lot of Asian American activists are asking people to sort of just like be aware of these stories, tweet to the news that you watch. If you follow Anderson Cooper, if you follow CNN or or even if you don't like just tweet to the news networks and we got to get more mainstream uh, media attention on this issue. And we wanted to talk about it a little bit today. Yeah. And words matter. Like when all of that was happening and people were saying China virus and making all these like silly videos that were anti-Asian, it's like whatever PC culture, we say what we want. It's freedom of speech. And it's like, no, your words do stuff. Yeah. When you put that out into the world, like idiots hear it and then they go attack people in the streets and it's fucked up. And so everyone needs to be vigilant. And I, I mean, I always have fantasies of like stopping bad things in the streets. Oh, yeah. Vigilante justice. Yeah. I always I'm like, I can't wait to be at a Starbucks and someone yell at the barista and me be like, you know what? You don't get to ruin someone's day just because you're having like, I just want a hero (laughs) moment like that. So bad. we need COVID to be over so we can get back to our vigilante justice in the streets. Lisa. (laughs) But let's um, let's hop into today's episode because it is such a good one. And our interview is so spectacular. And we don't want you to wait another second. Okay, let's get into it. This is season 21, episode seven, Counselor, It's Chinatown. You know, that's a reference to the movie Chinatown, right? No, I didn't. And honestly, the comma screwed me up for so long and I couldn't understand what the title (laughs) was for so long. Um, But now it makes sense that there was because I was like, they don't even say it in the episode. Well, I think the original quote is it's Chinatown, Jake. Actually, Carisi does say it in the episode, but um. I'll explain it when we get to it. Okay. 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 So we open up with uh, Mei Mei, who is a, a young Chinese woman FaceTiming her brother. Okay. I thought it was her boyfriend straight up. She's having this like sweet little conversation with this boy on FaceTime. And, you know, he's telling her, come to San Francisco. Come like, come to, And she's like, I got to go work. I got to go teach. Okay. So. But you immediately are thinking she's not a teacher. She's in this sort of like sparse apartment that looks like a lot of people live in it. And a guy and a girl come in and are like, let's go. Let's go now. And she's like, got to go teach. So she leaves the building with them and we see someone's taking pictures of her. Like we see the angle of the camera taking pictures of her. Wheel around. Who is it? Finn, undercover in a desert storm hat, selling a bunch of random junk on a on a card table on the side that of the street. That would be 
a dream. I mean, to go go buy some junk on the street and have it be iced tea in a vet's hat. I would love that. And like, it wasn't like he was selling, you know, army apparel or anything. It was like just a bunch of junk. And uh, then we see Rollins in a very cute mustard colored sweatshirt walking her dog, which I believe is her real dog. We had a Kelly Giddish fan account hit us up and told us that her real dog is in the show all the time. So I think that's her real dog. And she's also taking pictures of these two girls and a guy. And now we're at the river and uh, the two girls and the guy are eating grapes. They're napping in the sun. They look like they're having a lovely little day. And Kat is undercover as a jogger, also taking pics. So now we've got the whole squad is like on the street taking iPhone pictures of these three people. So we don't really know what's going on. But I do want to say that I was in the beginning in the apartment when he's like, we got to go. I thought it was going to be. And then. Like something horrible. And then you see them kind of have a beautiful day. Yeah, and then they're just like having this lovely day. So you don't really know what's up. We cut to the squad room and Liv is introducing Operation Dragon Slay. Seems racist. Um, That's what I wrote. I wrote, seems maybe racist. I don't understand why it has to have to do with a dragon because it's about Chinese-owned businesses. But there is an Asian sergeant there. We get introduced to Sergeant Joe Chin from the Human Trafficking Task Force. He's hot. Yeah, he was cute. They explain that they're focusing on massage parlors that are fronts for sex slavery and debt servitude. Um, and SVU is specifically investigating the Sweet Joy Relax Spa. The girls are let out for only one hour a day, supervised by Charlie, who is the boy who is with the two girls. He's the he's the man. He he's uh, Charlie, who he, they say he's an illegal with ties to Chinatown gangs and the, all the extras at the spa, probably meaning, you know, HJs and such are bringing in about 50K a week. The women get to keep some money for food, but they have to give the rest to their boss, which the word for boss is Mama San. And her name is Evelyn Lee, played by the. I mean, amazing Margaret Cho. And I looked it up. A mama-san is a woman of authority who usually runs a brothel. Like to, it's, it's from Japanese and Chinese culture. So it would be like who runs a geisha house or a brothel. So their goal in Operation Dragon Slay is to arrest the Johns and the management and flip them to get the owners. They do not want to arrest the girls. They want to get them legal aid and immigration help at social services. So that's an interesting more modern twists like a lot of episodes we've seen of svu they're like go in get everyone arrest the girls arrest the guy you know like get everyone um and this time they're being very careful to um keep the girls separate so then we cut to a sting operation where sergeant chin and finn are posing as johns at the spa may may tries to run she's there she's like in a room basically about to do a reach around on someone no they showed it i could not believe it they, her hand was under the blanket yeah. and moving i had never seen <laughs> such sexual activity in that way on svu and it's a pretty graphic show i feel throughout the seasons but i, I couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it the director was definitely like all right move your hand up and down we'll see what we can get away with with <laughs> with the network you know so mame runs she jumps out the window onto the fire escape and she starts trying to like escape through like a, a complicated series of fire escapes and then she's about to fall she slips or she's trying to climb over the the thing Carisi, who, by the way, is an ADA. I don't know why he's on the scene. I don't know why he's fully like involved in the stakeout and wearing a bulletproof vest. Just runs over, does an unassisted pull up. I'm not a huge Carisi fan. We all know this. Lisa is the Carisi lover. I'm like, I like him as a guy. I'm not sexually attracted to him. 
A full unassisted pull up onto a fire escape, though. He's winning me over a little bit here. He's winning me a little bit. I mean, that was pretty impressive. And there's a three piece suit under that bulletproof vest. Yeah, he's like it's just, so dynamic. It's, it's really kind of insane that he's there. But whatever. I understand it's TV. So Mamie almost falls and Carisi like has to coach her and he eventually saves her from falling off of the um, the fire escape. But it was really scary. And it was also a situation where couldn't they have just waited for her to come down? I mean, there's not that many ways she can escape. They've got the buildings blocked off. They've got the they're all on the street. I didn't know that he needed to do that. Well, she was hanging. No, no. He, she was hanging because she was running away from him because he oh. got up there. Oh, <laughs> so like, no, no. Then I, I understand why he reached out to save a woman that was literally hanging on like a cliffhanger in a movie. And then they cut to Benson's face and she even is like attracted to Carice. <laughs> she has this like moment where she's like, damn, OK. She's like, I'd hit it. Um. So, okay, so that's how we go into the credits. So now they are arresting Evelyn, played by Margaret Cho. They're taking all these girls in. Suddenly, Kat speaks Mandarin. Um, (laughs) I'm always really impressed with the linguistic skills of the NYPD. Olivia reveals to Finn, yeah, Kat knows Mandarin, Cantonese, and Hokkien, which I had to look up. It is literally such a random dialect that it's really funny that Kat knows all this language and... Ice-T agrees with us and goes, of course she does. Like, he is, ha, ha, ha. Like, what She's an overachiever, an overachiever for yeah. sure. I also want to say, Margaret Cho's skin looks incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. She does. She looks great. Like, I was pretty enthralled by, I want to know that skincare <laughs> routine. So, they've got four Johns from this little sting that they did. Um, and they also have Charlie, who is kind of like the muscle man. He's kind of like the guy that supervises all the girls um you know probably making sure they don't escape and also that they only take their one hour of free time a day or whatever um Mamie tells Rollins that she does not do sex work but does admit that she's paying off a debt for her and her brother the guy she was facetiming at the beginning who that's when I found out it was not her boyfriend so now we know that the girl who came to get Mamie at the beginning who had the lovely like grape eating day by the river with her is named Lily she's really cute I love this character Lily she's like really bubbly and like tells Kat how she learned English from watching Friends and Days of Our Lives. So cute. That's how I learned English. Oh, really? What shows? Yeah, Baywatch. Oh, damn. Yeah. Your beach lifeguard language must be off the chain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Submerged victim. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I'd play um, like pretend with friends, I would always be like, my name's Summer. And they're like, that's <laughs> not a real name. But it, w- it was to me. It was. And it is. <laughs> Um, okay, so Lily explains that Mama San um, takes all their money and that she has to pay it or they'll hurt her family. Charlie is refusing to talk. Charlie's like, you guys are going to get me either way, like whether I talk or don't talk. So why would I talk? Evelyn, we're kind of cutting to all these different interrogations. Evelyn is pretending not to speak English, but it's like very clear that she speaks English. She's been arrested 10 times, but never convicted for various, you know, roles in these different massage parlors and she has this line where she goes we both know your ucs can't unzip so your case is gonna go south i'll make bail and be back in business by the weekend it's kind of a badass line because she's like which i didn't know that undercover officers couldn't actually unzip in other episodes cassidy i think has actually had sex with sex workers (laughs) yeah to like you know to like keep up a cover i don't know if cassidy is the example of a 
ethical police officer. No, though. but I think that you're allowed. I don't I think it's like I think you're allowed to go in and get a hand job if you're undercover. Because I feel like they have or to show if they unzip for you. Maybe. And you don't unzip your own pants. The telegraph <laughs> says that undercover police officers can have sex with suspects if refusal might blow cover, but they must keep it as short as possible to mitigate threat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apparently this is what stops them from this is what has stopped Evelyn from getting arrested all these times is that none of these UCs can actually get the service that they're claiming these girls are giving. So Charlie mentions to the cops uh, about a beast with nine eyes and says, your problem is you look, but you don't see. So Finn and Chin go back to the parlor and they find security cameras in nine of the rooms. So that's what he's talking about with the beast with nine eyes. It's all these different security cameras that are hidden inside of smoke alarms. And the cameras are rooted to Mama San's nail salon across the street. So Rollins said the footage is pretty ugly. And it's like the women have to service dozens of men a day. And then there's also footage of Maymay being pretty violently assaulted. And they bring Maymay in to ID the guy. She calls him a bad egg, but says she doesn't know his name, that he's jobless and loud, um, and that he comes in on Sunday because the girls are his special hangover cure. So he's disgusting and reminds me actually of many guys I went to college with. They also later reveal that he plays squash, and that's just very my college. So I, um, I was connecting with him in a bad way. Lily says that the guy is rough with her, but never raped her. And she says he gets everything on the house because he has connections. I'm not going to attempt to say the word in Mandarin that they say, but they do say it several times throughout the episode. It's like Guan Chi or something. Maybe I am attempting to say it, but (laughs) I think I'm saying it wrong. So we cut to a sting operation, another sting operation where they're surveilling the spa. They're now trying to get this bad egg. Okay, they're trying to um, trap him, see if he comes in on a Sunday for his hangover sexual assault that he needs, I guess. Lily is um, helping them. She's like in the truck and they spot the guy and then they bring him in. His name is Theo Pappas. He's 30, no record, no job. He says, these girls get paid to do what you want. So it's not rape. And they're like, you don't even pay them. And he's like, I'm comped. So this is what kind of a nasty man this is. Like he's getting comped for services at at a massage parlor. And then he's fully assaulting the girls. Maymay is in a shelter and Rollins is trying to get her to testify against Theo so that they can get the owners. They're trying to go up the chain and really get who's running these, this network of spas because they're all hidden behind LLCs, like who owns them, who, who's running things. You know, it's not all Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho's not the mastermind behind all this. Oh, and then Maymay says to Rollins, it's a really nice dream that we're going to get these guys, but it's not a come true dream, which is kind of sad. Um, Lily shows up to meet Kat and they're walking in because Lily's totally agreed to give testimony. She's like, let's get them. I'm going to start a new life. She's so excited and cute. Then she gets a text on her phone. She goes to use the bathroom. She's gone for kind of a while. I don't know why Kat didn't go into the bathroom with her, but Kat goes in to check on her. And sees out the window that Lily has jumped out of the window to her death and is like lying on the sidewalk in a pool of blood. She finds Lily's phone and on the phone open is a photo of like an older woman with a gun to her head, which we can only assume is Lily's mother or a member of her family being threatened. So that's what prompted her to do that. Okay, so it's so sad about Lily. She has passed away. She is, we, we are at her um, funeral now. Carisi and Rollins show up at her funeral. Only May May is there. She said, Mama San paid for the funeral, but no one came. 
May May confirms that the woman in the photo is Lily's mom. So that's exactly why she did it. We also find out that Charlie and Lily were involved. I didn't know that. Like, and that's, I think, why Lily was never assaulted by this dirtbag is because Charlie kind of had an eye out for her because they were, they had big plans to like get married and have a life. Since they know that Charlie has this soft spot for Lily, Finn and Chin go to see Charlie, um, who, you know, they think will maybe give up a little bit more information now. Charlie does not know the name of the boss. He just pages him and meets him with cash. So they set up a meet where Chin is basically playing, like replacing Charlie. Like, oh, my friend couldn't make it, so I'm coming instead. And they set up the meet. This preppy banker guy shows up. He's all cage. He seems like he just did coke for lunch. Um, And then Rollins and Kat do this extremely unnecessary but very entertaining act out as like girls on the go doing shopping like they have clueless yeah it's very clueless they're like d omg and they walk up to the guy and they're like will you settle a bet for us and they're like she says you want cuffs and i say you want to get into the back of the car quietly or whatever so it's like it's completely unnecessary but it's really entertaining and fun now we've got rick in in interrogation he's saying he thought it was a food delivery like you went outside to pick up a paper bag full of cash as a food delivery okay buddy whatever you say um he reveals that him and theo play squash together I wrote in my notes, very Trinity. My college was number one for squash for many, many years. I don't even know what it is. I only think of the food. It's like racquetball. It's kind of like indoor racquetball. It's like the preppiest sport. Yeah. Well, my school is number one, really good at it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Rick actually says he's like, when a guy like me walks into the room, these girls are psyched. Like they think that it's like he's like a freaking prize for these girls to be having to sexually service. Um, So he seems like a total moron. They bring in his father and the father's like, let's make a deal to save my idiot son. He'll only cooperate if his son Rick gets immunity. Okay, so now we are in Vanessa Hadid's office, the bureau chief who takes over for Dodds. This is Carisi's new boss. I hate her. No, she is awful. I mean, she's set up to be an awful person, but I think she's the worst bureau chief we've ever had. She like not only is political and cares about herself, but has gone out of her way to screw over investigations and be on the side of abusers. It's yeah. really fucked up. And Dodds used to make my blood boil the way he talked to Olivia. Like I used to hate, hate, hate him, but then he really like softened. And by the time he left, you were like, eh, good guy, you know, and he so- helped, uh, you know, get that bad gray haired man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And stuff. But indeed there was like that under the surveillance video of her going into the office with all the powerful people to like get that uh, other gray haired man, all these gray haired evil men. But <laughs> I don't know. And then a part of me is like, why do I hate her more than Dodds? Do I, is it because she's a woman? I don't know. Oh, that's a great question. You know, misogyny is ingrained in all of us. So they're kind of laying out the case for Hadid. Chin is explaining how snakeheads, uh, which are Chinese gang members that smuggle people from China into Western countries. Uh, He's explaining how the snakeheads smuggle the girls from China and then charge the families with these insurmountable debts. Vanessa's like, whatever, same old story, like get to it. They explain that they're trying to get to the top. They're trying to topple this thing. So Avi Olin, who is Rick's father that we just met, um, he is going to give them Arthur and Christine Chang, one of Park Avenue's most prominent power couples they are this classic chinese american success story like they're on all these boards they you know they live they live the high life except they're also sex traffickers so avi will testify that the changs are behind all of these spas but vanessa is like the changs are just going to argue that avi's trying to save his son's ass so vanessa's like we need hard evidence that they're behind the trafficking or this is a no-go this isn't going to work out so 
we get to an amazing scene. Benson goes and meets Evelyn at like a Mahjong game room. And this reminds me a little bit of the Mahjong scene in Crazy Rich Asians where Constance Wu is just kind of like beating the mom at Mahjong. Did you see this? Yes, of course. I was going to ask, have you played Mahjong? I never have. I haven't either. We used to have this old neighbor, Grace, who would play all the time. I feel like old Jewish women love it, too. It seems right up your alley. I mean, you are dominosing your day away, like, and backgammon. Yeah. <laughs> like, it feels like you should really be... Let's order you a set. Um, so they're kind of sitting across from each other in this like brightly lit mahjong room having this exchange where you know Evelyn's denying everything she's like it's just a massage parlor there's nothing bad going on and then Benson brings out the trump card she brings out Evelyn's daughter Gia she's like oh didn't your daughter just get accepted to UC Davis you know universities don't like bad publicity or to accept tuition from sex traffickers so you just see Margaret Cho's face like fall at the idea that you know, she's been kind of cocky up until now. And you just see her face fall at the realization like, oh, wait, this could actually affect like one of my loved ones. So Benson just straight up threatens to ruin Gia's entire future. So Evelyn caves. And um, she said the money that they give the Olins is for building inspectors and politicians. That's not really what's up. She's like, the real money goes to Mai Mai Ren, an intermediary named Lester Ping, who runs Worldwide China Travel Agency. Uh, and she once saw Lester helping Christine Chang out of her car. So there's a there's a connection between these two people. The cops bust into the travel agency in the next scene. Downstairs, there's a full dark basement operation going on with people writing down figures in notebooks. And it's very like the Americans, the TV show, not the concept of people. Uh, <laughs> the Chang's whole operation, like everything's handwritten. It's like very spy versus spy. I would just hate to go have to work in a dungeon every day. Of course. It's like the air yeah. quality, the light, your vitamin D would be in the basement. Like, I mean, it would be terrible. And I wonder, do the upstairs travel agents know what's happening downstairs, you think? I mean, that's like what I always wonder on the Americans, because if you've ever seen the Americans, they work at a travel agency and I, there's there's front people and they have work orders and they have people they have clients. So I assume those people are actual travel agents. I don't really know. It's a great question. Like all these people are just coming into the travel agency and heading to this dungeon. And everyone's like, I guess those are the those dungeon are the dungeon workers. people. <laughs> <laughs> Morning, dungeon people. Have a good day at work. See you at five. So Carisi calls Hadid for a warrant. Rollins and Chin do like a classic SVU thing where they show up at a extremely public event. It's the Chang Foundation event, some event that they're doing downtown. And Christine is doing a whole speech about bettering her community. And in the middle of it, they arrest them. They obviously hype it for um, a maximum effect. Um, so and Christine's interrogation now, she's denying everything. She's claiming these are all legit businesses. But Carisi tells her that they've got the mama son, they've got the bag man and Lester Ping, who have all agreed to testify. They're going to get her on bribery, fraud and embezzlement. And then Christine goes into this like long monologue about like her uh, with a sob story crying about how her parents were doctors and they were arrested during the Cultural Revolution in China. And she thinks she's a hero for bringing all these girls to the U.S. to start a new life. But then she says, but my path has deviated. And for that, I must atone. So she almost too easily like just gives up like her entire criminal enterprise. Yeah, this episode plays with us for sure. Cause like in the beginning with Lily giving all that up and you're like score. And then it's like, no fuck. And then this again is like, wait, this is a little too easy. Yeah. It's one of those things where you just keep peeling back the onion and realizing that like there's 
freaking gates everywhere. Like there's a reason why these sort of uh, pyramids of power are built the way they are. So like even if one crumbles, the next one is going to be okay. So anyway, basically, Christine has admitted to everything as long as her old and frail husband is left out of it. So that's what we're led to believe that the reason she's confessed everything is like, Okay, I'm bad, but leave my husband alone. He's like, can't handle jail. He's too old. At arraignment, there are like literally before, as she's about to enter her plea of, I guess, guilty, a federal prosecutor enters and says he has an arrest warrant for Christine Chang on federal charges. So this case has international implications and the DA has agreed to let the feds take the lead. So Christine is released into federal custody. So we find out that the Changs have cut a backdoor deal with the DOJ and national security, basically probably them giving intel on China. And that's the reason why she confessed so easily, because she knew that she had this sort of ace in her in her back pocket. And this is when, like, Carisi is really pissed and he goes, so what, counselor, it's Chinatown? Like, because that's the big line in Chinatown is the movie Chinatown has a very, very, very fucked up ending. And at the end, it's like they basically someone just turns to the main character and goes, it's Chinatown, Jake. Like, this is just the stuff that happens here. And, you know, Carisi would love this movie. Yes. And Carisi (laughs) would be like dreaming of curling up with Rollins on a couch watching Chinatown every day of the week. Um, So May May looks really, really sad when she finds out that this is like all of this has been for nothing. Theo, that we find out the bad egg is going to get seven years for the rape. Rick is probably going to get off. Kat's taking it like really hard and Finn thinks that Kat won't last. But I think Olivia's like, no, give her some time, you know? Well, also Hadid, Carisi's like, did you know about this? And she's like, I had no idea. They blindsided me too. And it's like, yeah, lady, that's what happens. Like, of course, they're going to screw you over too. That's why you don't kiss ass to your boss or powerful people, because they're going to treat you like they treat everyone else. You're not, you're not special lady. Right. She did not get a heads up. She like knew nothing. They humiliated her. And it's like, that's what you, that's what you get for not being on the side of the victims. Right. But I also want to say that, yeah, Finn is so not nice to Kat. And it's like she just started here and one of her witnesses jumped off. of. Can you just give her a day? So in the final moment of this episode, we do get like a small ray of light where Carisi talks to May May and says, you don't have to worry about your debt. Christine paid off the smugglers for you. That seems weird. Like, what did she just decide to do that? Like out of the goodness of her heart. She's obviously evil, but whatever. She's free. She's going to go join her brother in San Francisco. So even though they couldn't topple this like international chain and all these spas that are mistreating these women, at least they could save one. So May May is going to get to go to San Francisco and like live a regular life. And they have a cute um, Chinese proverb exchange, which I kind of enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Because the proverb um, Charlie told Carisi, like, once you save someone's life, you have to take care of them forever. And she's like, you already saved me twice. So you're off the hook, baby. Because of your unassisted pull up on that fire escape. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad she gets to go to her brother. And then I wonder what happens to Evelyn. Like, I wonder if she gets punished for helping the cops or not. That is interesting, like, because she would be technically left. I mean, I don't know. I don't think there's I don't think they have anything on her is the thing. I don't even mean that way. I mean, is Christine Chen going to seek retribution oh like is she gonna just continue to leaving the door open for a second episode with evelyn lee and bringing margaret cho back 
That's a really good point. And I forgot to mention in the Mahjong scene, I her eyeshadow was really good. So I just want to <laughs> shout out the makeup department there. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Counselor It's Chinatown. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some real ass crime. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Time for the real crime. It's very layered, very complicated. I thought I had my opinion set on how I felt this case was. And then watching the episode actually opened my eyes to other possibilities. And what's wild is I remember when comedy was alive and thriving and I was on a plane all the time. I love Vanity Fair. And I remember reading this article. It came out October 2019 about this case written by Mei Jong. And I remember Googling it. I was like, she needs to win a Pulitzer Prize if that's what it is for journalism. I'm not sure what prize people get. But I this was the first time where I was like, this article is written so good. It was just one of my favorite um, news articles I've ever read. So I'm excited that I get to kind of reference it and use it. And the article is called You Won't Believe What Happened. Yeah, You Won't Believe What Happened, The Wild Disturbing Saga of Robert Kraft's Visit to a Strip Mall Sex Spa. Um, and it was just done very, very well. And I obviously, you know, it was a while ago. So I'm going to have updated stuff on what happened to everybody. But yeah, she did a fucking great job. Okay, so this all started in July 2018 when a health inspector, Karen Herzog, was just visiting a massage parlor in South Florida for a routine inspection. And they're trained to find signs of human trafficking. And she found them all. There was like hot plates. There was uh, suitcases. There was clothes, a fridge full of food and tons of condoms. So those are all signs of human trafficking. So she reported her findings to the Martin County Sheriff's Office. 
And then we have Detective Mike Fenton. He launched an investigation because he believed this was a large scale prostitution ring. Um, And one of the parlors, Orchids of Asia Day Spa, fell on the other side of the county in Palm Beach County. So he notified the detective in the Jupiter Police Department, Andrew Sharp, and he began his own investigation October 2018. Now, what I learned from other sources is that police right now get federal funding if they investigate human trafficking. They call it like the crime du jour and it used to be gang activities. And so, um, you know, it's kind of like, do cops care about human trafficking or are they just trying to get tons of federal funding for this? So whatever, a giant investigation happens in October. And to know about Jupiter, Florida, it's Palm Beach and it's old and quiet money. And as our Real Housewife alum Dorinda Medley says, money talks, wealth whispers. So, yeah, so Jupiter's a real whispery town. Very whispery, very rich. So November 2018, the team staked out the spa for seven days. And I think they this very much influenced the SVU episode of the stakeout and all the people running around. Um, and they everyone that entered, like they just at one point, like a golf cart full of men went and started doing touchdown dances as they were going into the spa. <laughs> And so they were like clued in a little bit that people were obviously going to score, um, not just get massages. So they got all this evidence. And so by January, they requested a sneak and peek search warrant, which is a holdover from 9-11 and nothing from the laws or times of 9-11 have been good. And it's basically it gives law enforcement more powers to investigate domestic terrorism cases. But now they can just use it for anything they want and things that have nothing to do with terrorism. So they used this kind of shaky warrant to go in there. Um, January 15th, they got the warrant. And two days later, they went in under the guise of a bomb threat, evacuated everybody and placed hidden cameras everywhere. And over the next five days, they watched tons of guys get get serviced manually, orally and anal play. I don't know if you needed all those details, but I have them for you. I didn't know anal play was on the field. Okay. I didn't either, but Mei Jong does incredible investigative reporting. (laughs) Um, And then what was cool, so when the Johns left, they would just do routine traffic stops to kind of see who's who. And they got the names. So one of the patrons was Robert Kraft, who was was 78 at the time, but he's the owner of the New England Patriots. He's worth $6.6 billion dollars. Billion with a B, baby? Yes. Damn. He is so rich. So everyone's like, why is he going to get a $79 massage? Rub and tug, yeah. At a strip mall. And then I found out from a different source, he tipped $100. Which, if it was anyone else, I'd say fine. When you're worth $6.6 billion, what a cheap piece of shit. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're 78 too also, man. Yeah, it probably took a while. Just a reminder. <laughs> yeah. And he showed up with his friend in um, a white Bentley. So that's how he showed up to the strip mall. And he lives in like the Breakers Row, which I guess is the fanciest of the fanciest places you can live in Palm Springs. It's this resort and Palm Beach, but yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did I say? (laughs) Springs. Your favorite place, Palm Springs. (laughs) I do love Palm Springs. (laughs) Yeah. Check out this podcast. Not only do I mispronounce names, but also places too. (laughs) (laughs) So he went with his friend, Peter, who is a dairy and plastics tycoon. And they went in this uh, Bentley. Kraft paid cash um, to Lei Wang, who goes by Lulu. And then he got serviced by Shen Ming Bai. So those are the names and we'll talk about them throughout. And then this article also said that he wiped his dick with a white towel. And it's like, May, relax. We don't need to know this. <laughs> like, did you have a minimum word search? That well, that sometimes I think that the more like insane details you add, it just makes it more credible. Like, I mean, it's like you did it like, you know, it was like he just went in and got it's like he wiped his dick with like <laughs> he used a wet towelette to wipe his hands off like <laughs> And everyone knows, and it's just wild that he owns the Patriots, and we know that he wiped his dick with a little towel. So um, they sent an officer, uh, they they call him Bark. Uh, They sent him to pull over and see who this was. But Robert Kraft, thinking like, oh, I'm so smart and rich and powerful, was like, you know, football, I own the thing. Here's my Super Bowl ring. And so the cop's like, okay, you can leave because all we needed was to identify you. So you pretty much gave yourself away instead of actually helping you not get a ticket. And, um, you know, Kraft called a friend to brag and he's kind of a fool, I guess. Cause he was like, we had a connection. This was special. Like he truly felt like he had this connection with this woman and it wasn't a regular exchange that happens. So he was calling friends and telling people, and then he got a call from the spa, which is just business. But he was like, they want me to come back. <laughs> and like, he was just, yeah, I don't yeah. know. You f- do you feel sad for him a little? I don't a know. little bit. I don't know why. Just he was old, and his wife died of cancer. Like he was just a lonely man. He but had a, lonely, a new girl, a lonely billionaire Trump supporter. You're bringing me back. You're bringing me back. <laughs> My tears are drying quickly. Go ahead. Yeah. And then so he went again, but he took a blue Bentley this time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. He can't stop. And he went to get the early bird special. So he got fifteen dollars off. And then that afternoon, he flew to Kansas to watch his team play in the playoffs. So what a day. I mean, private planes are amazing that you can get a blowjob at 11 and be in Kansas by 2 (laughs) p.m. So I made up the 2 p.m. time. I don't know. Please, if, if you're, I don't think there's a lot of NFL crossover here, but if uh, you like it, do not come for Please me. don't write us in about the time zone differences <laughs> and how long it takes a private plane. Um, so, okay, February 19th, there were dramatic raids. Dozens of massage parlors um, were taken over and there was a press conference by Sheriff William Snyder. He announced they busted a $20 million sex traffic ring with reaches to New York and China and that these women had been tricked into coming to the U.S. and are paying off debts to traffickers. They were working seven days a week, having unprotected sex with up to a thousand men a year. So very much um, a grueling, awful life like SVU showed us. And then to cover the tracks, the places moved the women every 10 to 20 days to different spas and they had their passport. Oh, interesting. Yes. So there's like a string of all these spas and then they kept moving them around. And then they take you, you said they take their passports. So, so like- it said that they, yeah, they took their passports and the money was taken from them so they couldn't leave. And 300 men were charged with soliciting prostitution. 
And on February 22nd, the Palm Beach County State Attorney David Ehrenberg announced that Kraft would be charged with two misdemeanor counts of soliciting prostitution. Um, And again, confusing to everyone. Why is he doing this? You're a billionaire. And why are you going over the bridge? And so like background, what that means is like, so Palm Beach is a 16 mile long island and it's the Singer sewing machine. People live there. The Jell-O, Listerine, like 97% of the residents are white, old as fuck. So where Robert Kraft lives, the Breakers Row is mostly Jewish and everyone else on the island calls it the Gaza Strip. So I don't know how we want to take that, but... Palm Beach has problems. And then over the bridge is West Palm. And if you're a Real Housewives fan, Luann and Tinsley got into a giant fight over West Palm and versus Palm. (laughs) Yeah. So West Palm Beach is the mainland. So that's where staff lives, maids, gardeners, doctors, judges, people who actually have to work for a living. And then the the owners of the spa and the people that work at the spa are even further. So you have to keep driving west past like highways and laundromats, pawn shops, and like past the turnpike, past state prisoners doing labor. And that's where you get where all of these women lived. So there was like this separation, but not like SVU. The women were arrested, taken and fucked over pretty hardcore. So Lulu was arrested um, and released after posting a cash bail of $75,000, pleaded not guilty. So the owner of the spa is Hua Zhang, and she goes by Mandy, and she would hire workers by placing ads in Chinese language newspapers. And she also provided daycare for the workers, which is better than most American businesses. So that's actually pretty impressive. So Lulu and Mandy are the two co-owners of this spa. She owned a condo near the spa, and she rented it out to the workers. And one day, February 19th, Police raided, swarmed, handcuffed Mandy and booked her in jail. She was charged with second degree misdemeanor for maintaining a house of prostitution and 26 counts of soliciting others to commit prostitution and second degree felony for deriving support for prostitution. And then what's fucked is the police affidavit lists the victim of her crime as the state of Florida. Which is bullshit, I think. Like, the state of Florida could not be hurt. They're filled with people that eat faces. Yes, that's a 10-year-old reference. But <laughs> I, like, what are you talking about? The state of Florida is, like, being hurt by this at yeah. all. Uh, Mandy was released on bail, um, and but she couldn't return to the condo because her employees were detained there. So she was placed under house arrest at, like, her cousin's house. And she stayed there. Now, unlike SVU, which took care of the women and, like, punished the guys, like, all the guys were doing whatever they wanted. Like Kraft went to an Oscars brunch. He was at the French Open. He was living it up as these women are on house arrest. So this is my, not my favorite part, but you know, someone is guilty when this is their legal team. So these are the lawyers that Robert Kraft hired. The first guy was the guy who withheld sensitive documents from Congress during Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. That's lawyer number one. Lawyer number two is uh, the person who defended former Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez being charged for murder. And then the other attorney, the third one, was the guy who helped broker a plea deal for Jeffrey Epstein. Wow. So that's the lawyers that he hired. A literal murderer's <laughs> row of lawyers. Yeah. Jesus. Um, and uh, they offered him a plea deal March 28th. 
if he admitted guilt and then they would drop the charges and they would be expunged from his record and he rejected it. He did not want it. Yeah, I think the plea deal was like he just would have to do community service and take like a class or something. That's what everyone else got. I wonder if he got the same thing too or if because he's extra special. Like, I don't know. But the fact that it's like it's going to be dropped, bro. Like you don't. Yeah. Why would you not take this deal? And of course, he's not going to take a deal. He's a billionaire and he knows he can get away with anything. And then it gets tricky where the people that are trying to end human trafficking, and this is actually in contemporary times with what's happening with Pornhub recently, where these ultra-right Christian conservative groups are claiming to care about human trafficking and helping women, but really they just hate porn and sex workers. And so it gets really muddy. Like Asa Akira, a really well-known porn star, she posted after Pornhub like, got in big trouble and they had to get rid of all these videos that in the past three years, Pornhub only had not only, but 119 cases of child sexual abuse material. Facebook has had 84 million. So if you really cared about helping children or people that are human trafficked, why wouldn't you go after Facebook? Like, why are you going after exactly. Pornhub? So it's kind of the morality police and it gets really tricky with like, what exactly are your intentions here? So, and Florida has been the leader of these fake human rights movements and how I mentioned earlier, how like the po local police precincts get money for investigating human trafficking, like the numbers, th but this is hard. Cause then in the episode, it's like the reason human trafficking never gets in trouble is because people are so high up and it's all these politicians and bankers and all these people are tied into it. So it's just really hard to know what's really true. They're saying that anti-trafficking groups had said that there were 300,000 minors at risk for being sold into sexual slavery in the U.S. And the FBI says it's only 649 cases. So it's just I don't really know the answer and I don't know who's mm -hmm. telling the truth and who's protecting who. But these cases inform public policy. And so Florida created a registry for people to like combat prostitution to list people like craft, but people that are not into the registry are like, you're actually including sex workers and poor immigrant women. And it's actually targeting our most vulnerable people in society instead of helping them. And so mm -hmm. it's really fucked up. And that's the whole thing with these raids is they are conducted in the name. Of, this is why this article really like stuck with me when I read it, you know, a year and a half ago was these raids are conducted in the name of rescuing women from sex trafficking. But the only people put in jail were the women themselves. Right. So it's so fucked up. All the men, like you said, got to take a class community service, get this shit expunged from their record. Robert Kraft's on his private plane, zip zapping around town. And all of these women are in house arrest, owing thousands of dollars and now don't have jobs. So it's like, fuck you it's really yeah. fucked up and like maybe the laws are different in new york but i do think that this is like another case of svu sort of like you know being a fantasy where they're like we're not gonna touch the women and it's like well legally i think that they go after the women all the time you know in this country for sure yeah because i know there's in other countries where like buying sex is illegal but selling sex is not and so it creates protections for the sex workers to like, so if someone fucks them over, they can 
you know, call the police if they get robbed or beat or something like that, they can um, get help. And then only the Johns are punished. So then the sex workers can ask for help if something bad happens to them. So yeah, a lot of the lawyers in this case were like, these are crimes of poverty. So go fuck yourselves. And then the women were subjected to hours long interrogations and all these claims of human trafficking began to unravel. But is it like in this TV show where they're not speaking because it's dangerous to their families and to their lives, or are they not speaking because there was no human trafficking? And this is just what poor people have to do to make money sometimes in this country. And so it was just really hard, but their case was crumbling because no one was speaking. And for these types of cases to move forward, you really need the people to speak forward. Within weeks of the raids, the state's case evaporated. There was no $20 million trafficking ring. There was no organizing. There was just, there was nothing. And so the case was dropped, even though all these women are still fucked over. So then, so this, the human trafficking is like kind of thrown out and there's no evidence for it. But what Robert Kraft and all these attorneys do, and they achieve this, is they get the video evidence thrown out. Like that it's not admissible because they caught people that weren't getting sexual services. And so basically they're infringing on people's rights by videotaping them get naked and get massages and stuff. And so the trio of evil lawyers were able to get the video thrown out as evidence. So now there's no evidence. And I guess it like breaks people's Fourth Amendment rights. But without the videos, there's no evidence. So the women should be let free, too. But they're not. So without that, there was really no case. So Robert Kraft, um, and this is now in 2020, his case has been thrown out and nothing has happened. And then another thing of how hard it was for the women, I read like, you know, some of the women from other spas in the area were handed over to ICE. And then they were all, like, another fact that really stuck with me was to get a Mandarin interpreter that's court certified is $400 an hour. So you also have these women who can't even afford to, like, have an interpreter in court. It's, like, really fucked up. They have to pay for the interpreter for them themselves? Yeah. Damn. So um, not only are the videos, like, fucked up, but the police precincts or whatever, they're getting class action lawsuit right now from all the other Johns that are like, you infringed on our rights. Oh, wow. And and the people that were just regular people too, like that were just there to get a real massage. They don't say who is in the class action lawsuit, but a bunch of people are suing wow. them. And the police department also said that one Jane Doe did cooperate, but it just wasn't enough for information. So, yeah, Robert Kraft, nothing happened to him. Now, the women. So Hua Zhang pleaded guilty to a count of soliciting to commit prostitution and a count of renting a space to commit prostitution. She's sentenced to a year of probation and 100 hours of community service, or you can pay a $1,000 fine. Um, and then also find $5,000. And I've never heard of this. Undergo STI testing as part of her sentence. What? That seems like medieval. Yeah, that's really insane. Um, Shen Mingbai pleaded guilty to one count of soliciting to commit prostitution. She's paying $20,000 to the city of Jupiter's police department and $5,000 in other fees. One year of probation, 100 hours of community service and STI testing. So I, it's just mind boggling <laughs> to me that the billionaire, nothing. Yeah. And then Lei Wang 
one year probation after pleading guilty to account of soliciting to commit prostitution. She's paying up to $6,000 or community service. And again, STI testing. The only reason I'm like a little confused is another source said that Lee Wang pleaded guilty and is down to get deported. She's like, I would rather get deported than serve any jail time. And that COVID fucked with her deportation. Rolling Stone says one thing, and then some Palm Beach News article said that she is going to get deported. So that's, I don't really know the full facts of that. So the other interesting part of this is the Cindy Yang connection. Yes. So Cindy Yang, she was the owner of the Orchids of Asia Day Spa, and she had sold it a long time ago. She sold it to Wajong in like... 2011 or something or, tw or 2013. So she hasn't owned it for several years, but she has a reputation for owning several quote unquote rub and tug spas all around Florida. Yeah. And so she's claiming like, no, it only happened after me. What would leave me alone? I don't know right. at all. But it's like, girl, people on the Internet were leaving reviews. And yeah. Like they she's <laughs> claiming that she ran a completely legitimate business, sold it to someone who turned it into a, like a, a brothel. And like, that's just not what happened. And what's wild about Cindy Yang is since 2017, she's donated over like 60 grand to Donald Trump and his campaign and stuff, which I learned this. I didn't know. It, you can't donate to a campaign or a candidate unless you're an American citizen. So any foreign people donating money that are not citizens, that's illegal. And that's why Trump, I mean, Trump has committed so many crimes, but one of the biggest crimes and what's so crazy that he's been able to do is people now that are foreign do not have to donate to his campaign. They could just spend money at his hotels or businesses. Right. And so that's how he's getting away with all of this crime. He's become so fucking rich because people are able to just spend money at Mar-a-Lago and he gets all of it and then they can pull favors. Nothing has been proven. Yeah. And Cindy separately was brokering access to Trump. She was yes. like, oh, come, like, I'll get you a meeting with Donald Trump. I'll get you a meeting with, like, people in his cabinet and blah, blah, blah. In my opinion, she is who Christine Chang is based on because she's yes. this wealthy, almost society woman who uh, has political connections and stuff like that and is claiming nothing to do with this thing. But I think that's definitely where they got the idea for her. And the Democrats were really into like, we need an FBI investigation on this woman. Right. She is a spy um, and nothing really came of it. Like nothing has come of anything recently. And the interesting thing about her is she, before 2016, there was no evidence she was into politics and she actually did not vote for 10 years, not one time. And then all of a sudden she started getting super into this, going to fundraisers, going to his inauguration. She was a Addicted. She was like the people at Disney World that want to meet all the characters. She was like that with the Trump family. She was just like, Eric Trump's over there. That's Esther. Like she was just running around getting selfies and then using the photos with the Trump family for her new consulting business website where she was like, you know, work with me and I'll get you in with Trump. And she went to an event at Cipriani's New York. And it's a goal of mine to go to Cipriani's with Sonia Morgan. Well, um, she's just a really interesting character. If you want to Google more information on Cindy Yang, you guys should, because she's, it's a really wild, wild lady. Do you think she's a spy? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't think so. Because I think that they just caught a spy and 
she seemed more low key. Like this woman seems like she's more ostentatious and like she's too, it's like almost too obvious to be this. Like she like is involved in like the Asian American Pacific Islanders for Trump, like groups. Like, I don't know. It's just too, I don't know, but maybe, maybe that's the point. Maybe it's be over the top. So no one suspects you. They just think you're like one of Trump's like insane MAGA heads. I don't know. So a wild case with no good feelings at the end. It's like, if you listen to this whole episode and you thought we weren't going to talk a shit about Trump, it's like, here we are at the end talking shit about Trump. (laughs) (laughs) It's just um, daunting and sucks to think about how huge the business of human suffering is and how high it goes. I sent you an article that was like just very tangentially related to this, but like there was a whole article in 2015 in the New York Times about nail salons in New York, which have a similar structure, even though there isn't the sexual element. There is like, it's women that are like forced to live in like apartments with like 10 people to a room. They have to like, you know, work these crazy hours. They don't get to keep their money. They're paying off smugglers. Like it's, it's all like, there's just a lot of um, mistreatment going on, and it's uh, it's a real bummer. Yeah, after that article came out, I no matter when I get my nails done, I always bring so much extra cash, and then I give it to them into their hand. <laughs> like, there's, I never put it in an envelope. I never tip on the card anymore, and it was because of that article. Like, it's just sad. Yeah. Well, you know what's not sad is our interview that we have coming up, <laughs> guys. I think this is really going to raise the vibe. In the pod. Okay, guys, our next guest. We're so excited. Honestly, for two stand-up comedian gals like us, this was an absolute thrill of a lifetime. Our next guest has been an Emmy nominated for her role on 30 Rock. She recently appeared in The Masked Singer. She had a groundbreaking show called All American Girl, her own show in the 90s. She's literally an icon, and we were so blessed to talk to her. And um, you might remember her from a nice little cameo in Sex and the City. She's been a judge on Drake. Drag race and just a stand up comedy legend that I don't know anyone who doesn't look up to her. So this was a thrill. She has her fingers in all the pots that we're interested in, essentially, like literally. (laughs) Uh, She checks all the boxes. Please stay tuned for our interview with Evelyn Lee herself, Margaret Cho. It's really great to talk to someone who's as big of a fan as we are of the yeah. show. Yeah, because <laughs> even though it's great to talk, um, you know, I'm not hating on anyone else we've talked to, but a lot of actors we talked to, they're like, that was 15 years ago. I don't really remember. I don't know. <laughs> and so it's just exciting to talk to someone who loves SVU. Yeah. And I was so like, I was so excited to hear um, Marsha Gay Harden on your show. Like, I'm really excited about your show because to me, like when I first heard about it, I talked to Karen about it, Karen Kilgariff. I was like, of course, of course, this is so perfect. <laughs> this, this show should have been happening all this time. But now it's great that, you know, we can also or you can also go back and like I'm part of the show. I, I have to, actually I am right now. But you can go back and, and watch all of the episodes again. It's really genius. So congratulations. Thank you. No, we Thank were you. very jazzed to hear that you wanted to do the show and that you liked it. It was pretty a big deal for us. Yeah. But I was going to ask, um, as someone that goes on the road and was uh, like, I mean, no one's on the road anymore. Was USA your go to channel when you would get into a hotel room? <laughs> yes. Well, I remember I had like the DVDs of it before, like 
Just because I, um, it's one of those shows where it was, I think Richard Belzer was really the, the idea that, oh, if you're a comic, you could also be on a crime show. And, um, that hadn't happened since Barney Miller, which is actually a sitcom, but there was like comedians on that. And then I know Richard Belzer. He's so fabulous too, because he lives in Paris and he's a kind of guy who, has rescue dogs off leash in a restaurant. Like re- that's like <laughs> so Parisian when you're like super wealthy and you've done all these things in show business. And then you can have your um, badly behaved rescue dog running around <laughs> the Kennedy center <laughs> without a leash. <laughs> and we, uh, he's like a notorious pothead, which I have heard and like. I love him. Yeah, the show has a really good good history of getting of stand up comics being on that show. I mean, Gaffigan's done it, and Bob yeah. Saget's done it, and we, they had had you and, and Robin Williams. Yeah, and yes. it's cool. And I think it's like it always catches people off guard to see somebody that they're used to being so funny being like a bad guy or a serial killer or you know anything like that. I think, as you guys know too, like comedians, if you can do comedy, you can do everything. Mm-hmm. Because we really do express the range of human emotions. And I think it takes so much humanity to be funny that drama is pretty much a breeze. How did the role come about? Did you audition? Did they come to you? No, which is a miracle. Usually I have to audition for everything. Um, (laughs) But for some reason, they actually wrote the part uh, or I mean, it's, it's from a real person. But they wrote it with me in mind and they just offered, which is like incredible. And I don't even live in New York, but every time I've had a good acting experience, it's been in New York, whether it's that or 30 Rock or Sex in the City. So I've had really good luck in um, cosplaying a New York actor. Yeah. <laughs> also, my good friend um, and br- brother in uh, another TV show, B.D. Wong, is, a, is Huang from um many many seasons as a oh we're we're very very familiar with his work (laughs) so and mariska is an old friend of mine too from before all of it when she was on uh my old tv show too so this that was like in 1994 so it's a very long history that i have with them and um but it was very exciting to be there and so yeah they just called me and asked me to be a part of it that's so great. And like, as someone who watches a show, did you always sort of like have it in the back of your mind that you wanted to be on that show? Yeah. And I was trying to think like, what criminal would, would I play? Um, <laughs> I was thinking, well, I played men, so I could maybe be Charles Ng. You know, he was in the, um, with Leonard Lake, they killed people. They killed like 26 people in the woods near, um, Santa Cruz, I think. It's always Santa Cruz. God. Yeah. There's so many killers in that section of California. <laughs> yes. I think it's, it's like a very heavily wooded area, mm. but, uh, I, I, I was thinking like, who could I play? Um, but yeah, there aren't as many Asian or Asian American killers. There was the twins. There was like Korean American twins. Like one was bad and one was good. And really? I think, I don't know, something like that. There's always a sort of like isolated stories that are um, things that I hear about because listening to true crime stuff, you hear about them. But I wasn't sure like what big case that I, I could be a part of. But this was a good one. Yeah, for sure. Were you familiar with the real life case? I wasn't. What happened uh, was after I got the part, I went and I did research on her and then um, 
people from the show, some of the writers and producers sent me some different articles about this woman who um, she's dead now, but she was very much a very complicated figure because some people looked at her as kind of a hero because she was trafficking people to work for her illegally. But at the same time, she was at some point giving them a lot more freedom than they would have had in China. So she was taking advantage of them, but she was also helping them in her own way. Right. That's really interesting. And that's like we sort of had a discussion about this, too, about whether your character is all bad, because is she not being controlled by these people at the top just as much as, you know, she's like a middleman for sure. Yes. But these high up people have stuff on your family, too. You know, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. you know, your character's family. I think it's just a cycle of abuse um, that Mm -hmm. makes more sense to me. But what was fascinating to me about her is that she um, was so rich from all of her trafficking and everything, like all of her illegal things. But you would never know it because she wore the same thing every day and it was all just cheap. And she was just like this older Asian woman who was just invisible because nobody ever thought to look to her because she just looked terrible all the time. And so when I went to do the costume, the costumes were so exciting because they went to like the cheapest, shittiest like stores to get this like polyester fabric that if you were near like a radiator, you would burst into flame. Like it was just (laughs) so toxic. Like the the grossest, weirdest synthetic fabrics that when you would wear it, it would make you have a chemical smell. Oh, God. Well, we have to say that even though they made your wardrobe look cheap, we thought your skin looked amazing. In oh, the episode. thank you. <laughs> we, were, we were both remarking about it. We were like, look at her skin oh, in this fight with Benson. <laughs> that's so nice. Most of our research was about the Orchids of Asia spa mm-hmm. in Florida, but I didn't really... Was that the woman that you were based on? Because it seems like it's someone else. It's a hybrid of that the woman from Orchids of Asia Day Spa And then also this woman from China who had been trafficking people over from this area by the Yellow Sea and um, bringing them to America to work for her in these restaurants and massage parlors and these kinds of very like illicit ways. But they would sort of work for her and gain their freedom through paying her off for like bringing them. So she was kind of, I guess, what is almost like a coyote, what they call them when they bring Mm -hmm. them over to this country. But she was also involved in an accident in because they were brought over in shipping containers on ships. And one of them ended up killing like 26 people because the shipping container couldn't be like opened or something like that. And they all suffocated. So there was like a lot of different things that the character was based on. So then uh, Mariska was very much like wanting to get to the reality of it because she's like, she's such a great actress because she's so like into finding the truth in it where you have to see where this person is good because nobody actually believes they're evil in any of this. And and all of the criminals, you can tell there's this glimmer of like whatever their motivation to get them through. So I think in her mind, she's actually trying to help them. Tell us about the Mahjong parlor, the whole, like, it was so such a cool scene. It's such a cool scene. Well, it's such a cool um, show because they shoot in the middle of New York City. And it's so crazy to be out and they're not stopping any of the foot traffic. So there's a million people there just watching people, like, shoot. And they're watching Risk and they're watching Ice-T. 
walk through and they're just shooting in this chaos, but they get it. Like, it's like they've been working on the show for 21 years. They know what they're doing. They know how to shoot while being a spectacle. And they kind of use that sort of environment to um, their benefit. So it's really pretty incredible how they managed to do it. The Mahjong scene was really fun because Mariska's just cool. Like she just comes on set. She doesn't have a purse. She has a bandolier. <laughs> this like, like phone on a, on a chain that's a purse. And, you know, she's always looking at like talking to her kids and then like puts it down and she's like doing the scene. And she's just so like, you know, she's got that, that haircut that can only work on her because she's so beautiful and she's strong. Like she's beautiful and she's smart and she's not afraid of any of this sort of strength that I think we've always been told as a woman, like people were always telling me as like when I was a younger comic, you got to just be cute because the intelligence and the strength and the ball busting doesn't get you very far, but she doesn't pull back on any of it. And it's a real example of how to be a woman. I love it. Oh, what a dream for you. It's one thing to be a fan of a show, but then when you get to be on it, it feels like you won a contest. Like I felt like I, I was like the 39th caller or something on a radio station. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a very contest winner feeling. Cause I met this level in show business where celebrity hasn't affected my life in a way that it has like, so I have these friends who are super famous who like can't go outside without some kind of balaclava. I mean, not even during COVID, but they can't go anywhere without being hassled or harassed or asked for pictures, but I can go anywhere. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. <laughs> so it's like, I'm at the perfect sweet spot of where show business is, where it's everything's still exciting and I'm still a viewer. Like I'm still a fan so I can fan out. Yeah. We were talking about how it's like, you're like, it, you're just this like iconic character because you've been in like, and then you've been on like dancing with the stars and like mass singer. And like, it's just, people just know you, but that's interesting that you don't think you get mobbed. I would assume you'd get mobbed, like not mobbed, but I would assume that every time you go out to eat pre COVID, you would get people coming up to you and being like, you know, your TV show, you being on this reality thing, you being on Sex in the City or 30 Rock or like any of these <laughs> things, you know? No, no, not at all. Because I think it's also because I'm usually with somebody more famous, <laughs> <laughs> which is like I was when I was in school, I, I was always like friends with a really pretty girl. So I was always their like lawyer, like I'm always their representative. <laughs> so that's kind of the same thing. Like whenever I go out like with friends or whatever, it's just it's so funny because um, if you're like out somewhere. Oh, yeah. I was at Lisa Vanderpump's house. Oh, and excuse I was like, me. Oh, excuse me. I was super excited. <laughs> I, unfortunately, uh, the day I was there, like the last day that her little Pomeranian was alive. You saw Jiggy on his last day of life? Yeah. Margaret. Oh, it my was God. really because I, I, I saw him and I was like, I wanted to put him on my lap. And so then he went on my lap and he was just so warm. And he had on this like really like a beautiful like it was like a juicy couture fleece um, <sighs> jumpsuit. But it had to be pinned up because he's so small and he was really warm. <laughs> it was really it was beautiful. I'm like not even a dog person. And I loved Jiggy. I'm not like I'm not I'm not not a dog person. I just don't have one. And I just yeah. like I used to love Jiggy. Like he was oh, so cute. R.I.P. Jigster. But after I left, um, 
he was dead. So <laughs> you can't, you, 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 there's nothing you can do when you're next to like Lisa Vanderpump to be noticed. Nobody's going to mob you <laughs> if you're with Vanderpump. Like, it's just not possible. Um, can we ask you a couple more like fan SVU questions? Yes. Like, um, like we want to know who's your favorite ADA. Oh, um, I think with Carisi. Oh, that's no, that's a different Carisi's character. Carisi's the current ADA. Oh yeah. Carisi. So, you know, he's so hot. Like I was like, yes. oh my God, <laughs> you were so right too. When you were saying how hot he is, he's so hot. Wait, were like, you there in your episode when he did an unassisted pull up on the fire escape and just went up <laughs> to save one of the girls? Yes. I was watching that. I was like, what is going on here? Yes. Um, yeah, that was in our scenes uh, in Chinatown. So yes. Yeah. And he is that and he's so sweet. And he was like, he was like, uh, we're talking to Lucia, my dog. He's like, Oh, you should have your dog in the show. Why didn't you have your dog? That would be like perfect for your character to have a dog right there. And I was like, that's such a, it's so funny because he looks like this very, he almost looks like a, like a Swedish prince on like a white horse or like a, a Russian czar. Like he's very Eastern European blonde, which is very different. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause his last name is Scanavino. So I thought maybe he was Italian or something like, and his character is Italian. Like his character always yes. like brings like Pozzoli and like stuff like that to people. But like, he does appear very Eastern European, like maybe almost Scandinavian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the, the, you remember that the Alps is kind of in Italy. Yeah. So that's sort of an Alpine Italian. He's Northern Italian. Yeah. He's Northern Italian. So there's a lot of cream sauces, no <laughs> tomato, <laughs> but he's really beautiful, but it, he's got that really like imparoli accent it's a very <laughs> it's a very uh lower east side so i think it's it's kind of like this magic combination but i think he's really cute and i was watching usa did like they asked all the 21 questions to all the current cast members to celebrate the season and they asked who makes you laugh the most on set and they all said him and so that made me love him even more he's so cute i mean but i also love christopher maloney oh yes yeah. well if we were to ask you who would you want Olivia to end up with romantically, which is something we've been posting on our Instagram as well as our stories. And people have very varied opinions. Oh, Stabler. Yeah, yeah. You're a Stabler. Stabler. I mean, it's like, there's nobody else, but I also have complicated emotions around Christopher Maloney because, um, uh, one of my best friends is Lee Turgeson who played his lover on Oz I don't know if wow. you ever watched Oz. Oh, I watched Oz. Lisa's yeah. an Oz person. Lisa's Oz. I watched yeah. it too young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's deeply homoerotic and very intense. But so Christopher Maloney's character in Oz falls in love with Lee Turgeson's character. And they have like the most intense love relationship throughout. So it's like really, I, I, I have hard time seeing Stabler because I'm looking at him through the Oz lens. Interesting. And his body is just like pretty amazing in all of, in all his body shows. is like, he's really hot. Like he's really like just a beautiful man who's unafraid of his like gay side too. So that makes him all the more appealing. And then we don't know how you feel about uh, when people come back from SVU to play different characters. I love even it. Though, so <laughs> <laughs> is there someone you'd want to come back and play or do you have any more SVU dreams? Yeah, like season 26. We've all forgotten about Evelyn Lee a little bit. We can now move into Margaret's new character. I know that Huang has a sister. 
who they've never shown. So that would be good. Oh my God. If you are listening and you work on SVU, make this happen. That would be perfect. That would be so perfect. Wait, I was going to ask you too. Oh, wait. So you, are you a big drag fan? Yes. 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 I, I, we thought so. And, and you've, cause you've done messages for Queens on the show and been a judge on the show. Yeah. I've been a judge and I, um, I was good friends with RuPaul. I mean, she's so famous now, you know, you never see her anywhere. But right. <laughs> she's also one of those people that you can't go anywhere with because they're so famous. I'm sure. But yeah, uh, Trixie Mattel's been over the house. I just did Alaska's special, so that'll be out soon. I haven't started the new season yet. I know that it's very exciting. Yeah. But um, I do. I think my favorite is season six. Is that Bianca? Yeah. Yeah, that is a good season. I mean, I love all of them. We wanted to ask you, what queen would you love to see guests on SVU? Oh, Shutan. <laughs> uh Oh, Raja. Yeah, I was like, oh, who are you talking about? Raja would be amazing. <laughs> Raja. Or um, I love uh, Jinx. Amazing. Jinx is kind of like a perfect like film noir beauty. She's like Gloria Graham or like even like Lauren Bacall, that sort of beauty. Also, Bianca is genius too. Or Ginger Minj would be a fun like yeah. um, landlady or something. Yes. <laughs> Totally. These are all so good. I mean, I would just love to see a murder in a drag club and you just get a ton of them, you know, yeah. get to have like a few lines. Or Katya. Yeah, Katya. Katya and Trixie, which uh, I think are, they're quite a dynamic duo. <sighs> Margaret, this it was, was so amazing. amazing to talk to you. I feel like we could sit so here and talk fun. to you for like another hour, but we, we know you're busy. We all have, we, we've got to let you go. You mean a lot to both of us. Yes. Well, I love you and I love the show. We both remember watching your show. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, we like I watched your show when I was younger and like, yeah, it's just you're like a, you're a comedy icon for sure. Well, thank you. That was an amazing interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really we just excited. we barely ever look respect to every actor we've ever. Most of them have dabbled in the show, but she's like a true fan. And it's just fun to talk to a true fan of the show. You know? And of course, I'm happy she's a Carisi, a Carisi head. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are, I guess, maybe, um, maybe I got to see him in person or something and it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna flip a switch for me or something. Um, I also heard drag queen picks were so good. Yeah. Like that is incredible casting. And you know, the reason I know Raja is Sultan is from America's Project Next Runway. Top Model. Yeah. No, Top Model. Oh, top Model. Yeah, she was doing makeup uh, for those young, young girls with big dreams. No, Raja is, yeah, a, a huge, a big. She's so beautiful. A cultural and name. Then, Bianca would be like not a dock worker, but I would love Bianca in dude form. She Bianca has the exact humor of Law and Order. Yes, she's yeah. the exact humor. Like I don't know, last time I saw him, he wasn't dead. So what can I tell you? Like that, it would it would <laughs> yeah. be like that. You know, like it just like she. I I now this is making me want to write a spec script or something to try to get a writing job on SVU where a murder takes place at a drag club. And I think I also learned like. 
what a dream to be successful, honored, famous, but have more famous friends that no one talks to. Well, and have, but to have a certain degree of anonymity, like you can still live your yes. life. Yes. It's really, she really has hit a sweet spot. It's like such a career. Yeah. No, she is like, I was saying, I was like my younger self of when, like when her TV show was on is like screaming inside that we got to talk to her. And I'm sure you were happy that she got to see Carisi do a pull up. I'm really happy somebody I met somebody who was there to see the pull up in real life. It's really all I've ever wanted. And I know people have messaged that we need to stop saying iconic, but I'm sorry. Margaret is iconic. And that was an <laughs> iconic interview. So go fuck yourself. Also, the if you knew the amount of drag race we watch, like we say iconic a lot. It's like <laughs> we're not we obviously don't think every single thing is an icon, but she is truly someone wrote like that word is over. And it's like we're grown women. We don't know what's trending. I don't know. Like what? <laughs> lingo is in or not yeah <sighs> Trixie Mattel the other day tweeted that um that was wild is out like stop saying things are wild and I was like oh I don't know we say that a lot so <laughs> you're gonna that's gonna be a couple years before we're done with that little word trend but let's get into um the postmortem for the episode so obviously a insane episode insane true story and we learned a lot I feel like I don't know if this is a new lesson but it's like a reiteration or something like what is the word but that rich and powerful people control everything and we need to be careful how much of information we believe from places or what's really going on and who gets punished for what and if you're a billionaire you can break the law and hire jeffrey epstein's lawyer and get away with it right and if you're poor you're gonna get fucked over forever i don't think this is a new lesson but i think this case and episode really show this yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is, is like if you're Christine Chang, like, why can't you bring women over from China and still help them in the way that you thought you were helping them? That doesn't involve them doing sexual work that they don't that they like or or or, or not. I mean, not that sex work isn't work, but like, you know, they feel they're definitely trapped. Like regular sex workers don't have their passports taken away and don't uh, pay indentured servitude and have one hour of free time a day. You know, like. I think that it's like, why couldn't she bring them over and put them to work in one of her many businesses that she owns, you know? Because the legal things pay money. I mean, I don't fucking I know. know these evil pieces of shit. Like, <laughs> sociopaths. Be a better feminist, you fucking psychopath. And Christine Chen, again, criminals are amazing actors. Crying in the squad room, knowing you're going to get out the next day. Like, yeah, that was ugh. that was quite a monologue from Christine Chang. Um, let's also say... Evelyn Lee's character definitely thought she was smarter than Benson and you're never smarter than Benson. <laughs> that is a good, that's a good reminder. Uh, she will threaten to ruin your child's life in a Mahjong parlor. So don't even try it. And I love getting confirmation at how good the SVU costume department is. Like how well thought out every yes. decision they make is. It's really incredible. And a takeaway, not a lesson. I want to learn Mahjong. That's it. Yeah. That's my 2021 goal. It seems right up your alley. I'm surprised that you don't know it. In terms of the real case, if you're a billionaire and you're going to get a happy ending, you need to tip more, right? This is, I don't, this might be long-winded and stupid, but I remember in Comedians and Cars getting coffee, um, Seinfeld and SJP were at a diner and Jerry... 
Jerry's also a dick for doing this, but he's like, SJP, what do you tip? And she goes, move the decimal point. And he goes, move the decimal point. When this waitress goes home, she's going to tell everyone she waited on SJP and Jerry Seinfeld. And you want the first question is going to be, what did they tip? And you want them to say, oh, she moved the decimal point. No, you have to tip like you care about your reputation and you want everyone talking about what a great tipper you are. I immediately hate people that I find out aren't good tippers immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, I tipped, I only tipped 20% because I'm not a superstar with that gets hundred million dollar Netflix specials. Yeah. But I'm just saying if you're <laughs> Robert Kraft people and you're showing off your Super Bowl ring. Yeah. You want people knowing you only, I mean, you obviously don't give a shit about anything or any human life, but right. you, you want people to know you only paid a hundred dollar tip. That was a long winded story. It's just one of my favorite stories, but it's yeah. like, if you are famous or well-known, you need to tip. Because we will find out if you're a shitty tipper. TikTok stories, that's the number one trend, right? Oh, yeah, I love those. Also, if you're going to a happy ending place regularly, the women there do not have feelings for you. They do not yeah. They do not like when you come in. They do not see you and think, oh, great. I mean, maybe if you're a great tipper, maybe they do. But not because they're so anxious to give you a, a 75-year-old HJ. I, I have to think that that's true. And also everything that has come from 9-11 is terrible. <laughs> Wait, why? What came from 9-11? The warrants where they are able to videotape stuff. Oh. And um, just ICE came out of it and a bunch of other, like the Patriot Act, like all of these laws that were created post- 9-11 to counteract terrorism are still allowed and the law enforcement just has gone haywire with them. Yeah. And the cops should not be arresting the sex workers who are just working. I'm going to add that I think I learned from Margaret that we need more Asian criminals because yes. she said there are only well, two crimes she could come back as. Well, yeah. Remember there was the guy in the one episode who was half Asian, half black and felt rejected by both communities. So yes. they've done they've done some. They've, they've tried to represent that, but maybe it's good that in real life, there's not a lot of Asian yeah. serial killers. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think Anna wants more um, diversity in murders. And please, anyone that works at SVU that is listening to this, we need B.D. Wong's sister. Yes. We need Margaret to be the sister. Maybe she has something to do. Maybe she owns the drag club where the murder happens. Oh my God. And I love I'm that get she going loves on recurring this. characters. <laughs> yeah, let's get going. <laughs> Write a script, bitch. And now it is time for What Would Sister Peg Do? Our weekly segment where we give you guys a little bit of info or a resource you can check out to um, get more information about the subject that we tackled in today's episode. And today we would like to highlight a link that was sent to us by a That's Messed Up listener, Mary Haggerty. It's Shared Hope International's Informational Guide, which is Responding to Sex Trafficking Victim Offender Intersectionality. That sounds crazy the title, but I think it's really, really informative about the victims of sex trafficking and how, you know, we can figure out how to not criminalize them. And the link is extremely way too long for me to share on this podcast. So it will be in our show notes. So thank you so much to Mary for sending that to us. And next week, we will be covering Serendipity, Season 5, Episode 5. As always, the episodes are on Hulu and Peacock. Watch along with us. It is 
one of the faves. And remember, you can email us whether you're, you know, a forensic psychologist, have an episode suggestion, think we're incredible. Um, any, <laughs> or have you seen them film SVU and want to tell us a moment? So our lines are open, everybody. Yeah. Get to that, it. And that is, that's messed up pod at gmail.com as a reminder. Yeah. Um, when I have to do tasks and I refuse to do them, I like having those emails to fall back on to procrastinate. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next week. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs> 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 <laughs>